Hello, welcome to the first live Q&A of week four for the January course. Um, I'm Donna Reesh, your teacher and your host, and I have a couple of questions to go through and answer tonight. And um, as questions continue to come in throughout the week, I will continue to go live and answer them. So you can also comment below this video with questions. You can email me questions, and between now and Sunday, I will be sure that I get all of those questions answered in various live videos. So we just have a couple for tonight. So let me start out with the first one, which is about OMAD. As as you know from the course, OMAD means one meal a day. And this question involves fasting for 24 hours every day, um, which technically becomes like a 23 hour fast, right? Because we don't really fast, well, I guess we could fast 24 hours. So like we could end on seven one night and eat, and then the, then we got done eating at 7.30, then the next night end on 7.30, and then the next night end on eight. Eventually it would catch up with us and it would be midnight, right? <laughs> but roughly speaking, what the poster meant was that she is going to fast, you know, for like 23, 24 hours, eat every 24 hours or so. And she is wanting to eat one meal. So one meal um, every 24 hours. So I'm assuming since this is a 24 hour fast, that she literally just means a meal. <clears throat> you know that from the first couple of days, the teaching on the various protocols, that OMAD is a little sketchy, right? I mean, you know, some people call an OMAD and they eat for five or six hours. And they eat a snack and they eat dinner and they eat a dessert and they eat a snack. And, you know, that's not really one meal, right? And then other people are very religious and stringent with it and they call it OPAD, one plate a day, which means which is what I think this poster is asking. So if not, you can definitely re-ask and I can come at it at a different angle. But I think what this gal is meaning is that she wants to fast for 24 hours and just eat her meal, right? Which would be more similar to OPAD, right? One plate a day. And then she's, then the way I understand this, then she's gonna shut it down and not eat again for 24 hours. So her question is, um, is this okay? Uh, is it fine for long-term and, um, you know, since I'm not hungry, since I'm not that hungry and this isn't that hard for me, should I continue to do this? So um, I'm not gonna give her an answer, obviously, exactly as to what she should do, but I'm gonna give some pros and cons. So here we go. Um, the first con is that, um, and that's probably not sustainable in the real world. That's okay. You can say, this is my protocol, I'm doing an OPAD, I'm doing a 24 hour, 23 to 24 hour fast every day. I'm eating once a day, um, unless I have a special occasion. Then I might do 16-8 that day, or then I might do 18-6 that day. And so she can definitely do that with that caveat. Um, I, I, I think just saying I do OPAD, I do 24 hour fast, that can be a little bit, um, it can play tricks with your mind, right? Like you can't be the least bit flexible if you kind of get that in your head. So I, that would be a con that I would watch out for. I would watch out for that you'll never do a Sunday lunch again, you'll never do a Saturday brunch again, you'll never do a late night movie or something like that because of the stringency that you are uh, developing with this mindset. So that would be a con, but a way that you can solve that for sure. Another uh, potential con is that um, this is a woman and there is not a lot of research 
out about some of these uh, more extreme ways of intermittent fasting. So since I made the course, actually my husband have gone and I have gone from 19.5 or 24 to 18.6. And we eat two meals a day. And um, two, two healthy meals a day. We plan what we're going to eat ahead of time. Um, but there isn't a lot of research on, there. there's research on like, what happens when we fast for a period of time, what happens with autophagy, what happens with human growth hormone, those things have been shown. But as far as like her question was, is this safe for the long term? Is this something that I wanna do for the long term? And to that, I would say that there's not a lot of research because there's not a lot of long term, like longevity studies and things. So to say whether this is something that's really safe for women to do, to fast 24, 23 to 24 hours every day and just eat all at one time? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that and nobody does yet. And so there's not a lot of longitudinal studies out there. So um, I do think that going back and forth, like 24 hours today, 16 tomorrow, 24 the next, 16 the next, I think that is going to be a little bit challenging because uh, of clock hunger. And I feel like if you open your window sometimes at noon, and sometimes at 8 p.m. and you just keep back and forth, back and forth with those two, that that can cause a lot of clock hunger um, and, you're, and, and it will not like balance your hormones. Think about if you weren't fasting, but you ate at eight in the morning every day. And then for a couple of days, you tried to eat at 12 or one. The same thing would happen if you have this huge starting time gap. So I personally try to have a starting time that's within two hours of each other every day. So I almost always start eating between one and three. There's seldom a time that I start before one, maybe on a Sunday on occasion. There's seldom a time that I start after three, maybe on a long teaching day every other week or so. I did yesterday. I started at four, but generally speaking, my start time is between one and three. And that really helps a lot with that balancing of the hormones and the clock hunger and things like that because my body hardly ever gets hungry before noon. I mean, just never. I mean, just like like yesterday, I was really surprised that I could go like 21 hours um, and I wasn't that hungry. Um, actually, I, I didn't even really feel hungry until like the 20 hour mark. So I think that, um, the 24 hours a day, I, I think the key to that is really going to be how you feel and if you can do it and if it works for you. Not striving, not white knuckling, not fighting against hormones, not fighting against willpower, but like, this is my way of life, this feels good, I can do this. All right, so if those things are not met, then those would be my concerns more than like how healthy it is since we don't really know how healthy it is. Um, or um, even, you know, what are other people doing? You know, it's more what works for you. The, the whole key to weight management that my husband and I have found in the last two years is truly sustainability. So what you can sustain, that's the question. What can you do for the long term? Okay, one more little caveat with the uh, eating one plate a day or eating every 24 hours and things like that is that a lot of times in some of the big intermittent fasting groups, you see people say they do OPAD or they, they do OMAD. I only eat one meal, this is it. And they show that meal. And it feels like sometimes people who are doing um, that OPAD or OMAD are, are like extreme, you know, like I only eat once a day, you know, I, I don't need food other than that. 
a lot of those people are the kind of are people sometimes not always I don't like to cat I don't like to categorize people like that but I want to give this warning that that you're not become that you don't become one of those people who does it so you can eat whatever you want or as much as you want or to feel like um, kind of like those old binging feelings coming back like I'm doing this one meal a day only once uh, only eating but finally I can just have whatever I want and I can have as much as I want so just be careful that that doesn't creep in that would be another uh, concern that I would have just because I think there's a mindset I know this is because I had that mindset I had the mindset of if I only eat one meal a day I can really tank up right so if you feel that mindset creeping in you want you want to watch for that okay another question was about appetite control uh, appetite um, correction appetite correction AC and uh, what are some signs and I know that we talked about this kind of earlier in the course um, but she also asked is it too soon for appetite correction to set in at the four week mark and I will say that if you have you know a, a protocol of fasting in place and it's been in place for say seven to ten days like like first you were building up to it maybe you did 14 for one week then 16 the next week and now you're at 17 or 18 and you don't go off on weekends and you have a lot of consistency then week four is not probably too early to feel appetite correction and you probably can sense it starting up the appetite correction will not set in if we have inconsistency so like a lot of people who are from you know different diet backgrounds they have the cheat weekends and things like this I had those too so a lot of times with those kind of cheat weekends what we end up with is like five days of perfection two days of binging two days of per you know of um, of pigging out that kind of thing and if we do that same mindset with intermittent fasting where we're going to be perfect for five days and then we are going to you know not fast at all on weekends and eat whatever we want and you know eat breakfast at 7 and end at 10 p.m. that 7 a.m. and end at 10 p.m. that evening and you do that for 10 days then you have so much circulating glucose and so much stored glycogen to use up from that weekend of uh, overindulgence right and in that case appetite correction won't sit in because you'll be constantly fighting that whole you know I'm gonna make it rehab and I'm gonna start you'll be essentially not fully because you have you did fast last week those five days but you'll it'll be it'll feel like every Monday and Tuesday at least maybe even Monday Tuesday and Wednesday it'll feel like you're starting over right because you have you have had you have so much sugar and so many so much um, food in your system to work to burn through before you ever get to any fat stores right because you just tanked up so much by you know not fasting now do we do we ever let up on weekends when we go away for the weekend we have 14 hour and 16 hour fast so and we do that you know a few times a year because we like to go to concerts and we like to go to dance dance dancing and stuff like that so so we're getting ready to do that in two weeks and we will have 14 or 16 hour fast but we don't go off on vacations and weekends entirely as far as like you know just a whole weekend or a whole week of you know like um even like 12 hours of fasting and 12 hours of eating uh, because I don't like that having to restart it's pain you know the whole process of getting back into fat burning um, can be you know very hard and so uh, we try to you know have a fasting average 
a 14 to 16 hours. Usually 16 on a weekend getaway, but um, more like 15, I think we had 15 on our 10 day Disney trip, a 15 hour average by the time it was all said and done. Um, so, you know, that way we don't have as much to work through. It's still not easy to go back to an 18 or 19 or 17 hour, you know, fast, but it's way easier than if we just, you know, blew it all, right? Okay, so uh, your appetite correction signs will be um, just, Appetite correction means that your ghrelin is tamed and your leptin signals are better heard. Keep in mind that if we are overweight, we all have leptin. Um, the, the research on leptin is really interesting because they did research on mice and they tried and they had these obese mice and they uh, said, well, these mice must not be must not have enough leptin. So they injected them with leptin and the mice just still, no changes, no changes, no changes, only to find out that pe people and, and in mammalian studies, uh, mammals, people, and animals, they all have leptin released. It's not like they, at that time, they thought there was a shortage in leptin in overweight people. And then they, can't, they came to find out that there really wasn't a shortage of leptin. It was just that our insulin's so high we never hear leptin signals. So there are other things that block leptin signals from being heard, but one of those is keeping insulin so high or spiking it all the time. So keep in mind that AC, appetite correction, is a result of that whole balancing of those hormones. That is what appetite correction is. So appetite correction is when we uh, lower insulin every day through intermittent fasting. We don't have a bunch of spikes and we don't have any long spikes, even if we do have spikes, because different things can spike it. I'm gonna talk about that in just a sec. Um, and your your ghrelin hormone, you know, that you're, you know, I'm always hungry, I'm always hungry. Every time your stomach gets a little empty, hunger, 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 you know, because it's released from the top of the stomach, from the fundus. You probably remember that from your lesson. You remember that word fundus? Um, and it's released from the top of your stomach. And it's, uh, and anytime your stomach previously, prior to intermittent fasting, anytime your stomach got a little bit low, ghrelin was just crazy telling you, you need, you need food, you need food, you need food, right? And um, whereas when, in, after you're into fasting for a while, then you're taming the ghrelin, you're training it. You're training it to just be quiet at eight o'clock when you used to be hungry, at 10 o'clock when you used to be hungry, at 12 o'clock when you used to be hungry, at one o'clock when you used to be hungry. And so like once you've done this for a while, even just a few months, ghrelin is so well trained and clock hunger is a real thing that you get hungry at the time that you normally eat. That's why I like that two hour window of opening my, uh, two hour time period of opening my window because then I have um, hunger, I have clock hunger that is predictable. You know, I know for sure I'm gonna be fine all morning. It's not gonna be any big deal. On occasion, I'll have too hard of a workout or I will close my window too early the day before because maybe we went out in the late afternoon on a Sunday or something, or maybe I didn't eat enough. You know, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, I know that through appetite correction, that process, insulin low, ghrelin trained, I'm not gonna have that hunger until this certain time of the day each day. And then of course, you also, because your insulin is low, you're hearing leptin. 
So all that leptin that you've been releasing, that you have all the time, um, especially, you know, like the, the bigger, the more overweight you are, the more leptin you actually are supposed to have, but we just don't hear it. So all of that comes together to create this perfect storm of appetite correction. So when will that happen? And that will happen anytime between week two and six, depending on whether you're doing fasting incrementally, 12 hours one week, 13 the next, 14 the next, or whether you jumped right in, um, and also how much processed food you eat during your eating window, because um, that keeps your insulin really high for a really long time, and real foods, even carbohydrates, will spike your insulin, like potatoes and rice and things like that, but uh, processed foods with sugar and stuff, they spike it un in an unusual way, in an um, unnatural way. So uh, you will know it because you will be able to just say, hmm, I think I'm done. And it won't be like white knuckling, forcing yourself to be done, making yourself stop. You've got to stop. You've got to stop. I need to stop. It will be more natural. You'll just go, and some people call it the, um, the uh, sigh. I don't know if you've ever heard that. They're just like, huh, I think I'm done. And it just won't be a big deal. And you may not have all your food gone, and you may not have eaten everything you wanted to eat, everything you thought you were going to eat, and it just won't be that big of a deal. So you will definitely have some signs of appetite correction. Another sign actually is desiring healthier foods. And so that was a really good thing for me because I didn't eat many fruits and vegetables, and I ate a lot of processed foods, and I ate a lot of uh, desserts. And so when appetite correction set in, and I was like, hmm, I think I'll have an apple instead of M&M's. So it's like, whoa, where's Donna? And what have you done with her, right? <laughs> so that'll be another sign. All right, the last question I'm going to answer tonight is about stevia spiking insulin. Okay, and stevia is a plant, um, a, an non-caloric, non-carb, non Obviously, if it doesn't have any calories, it doesn't have any carbs, proteins, or fats from our macronutrient lesson, right? So it is a non-caloric, non-carbohydrate, uh, non-glycemic sweetener. And it's a plant, and most of it's processed. Everything's processed, right? All sweeteners are processed. Unless you've got a stevia plant in your backyard, and you come in and you crumple the leaf in your tea. It's all processed, okay? <laughs> all right, so it's processed. And then it's made into different forms. There's stevia drops, stevia powder, stevia granular. <clears throat> Most of the time when it's granulated, it is mixed with something else. Um, my, one of my favorites is Pure, P-Y-U-R-E. It's erythritol and stevia mixed. And my current favorite that I use all the time is monk fruit, Lanco monk fruit granulated. I like it even better than the Pure. But the question was, um, did the stevia spike insulin? And I think she's talking about, um, this wasn't really clear, so I'm gonna address both, okay? I didn't know for sure she was talking about stevia in the uh, fasting time or stevia in the eating window. So once you're in your eating window, you don't have to worry about what's spiking insulin. Don't think like that. I don't think that's a healthy way to think because then you are all obsessed, unless you are a keto dieter, I don't think it's a good idea to think in terms of th these potatoes, this sweet potato, this rice, this sprouted bread, you know, this is going, this protein, because protein does spike insulin some, these are going to spike insulin. Oh no. Okay. 
you're supposed to have some insulin, okay? Everybody's supposed to have insulin, All right? We wanna keep insulin down during the fast because we don't wanna up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, which also keeps us hungry. All right, so you don't worry about spiking insulin during your eating window. Eat healthy foods, eat real foods, and um, eat a combination of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. So like for me, every day, I, I, every day, almost every day I eat a salad and it has carbohydrates in the croutons and the lettuce and it has, uh, which croutons are processed food, so um, I just, I, but I still use them. I crumple that, I crunch them up and use small amounts. And um, cheese is a fat and then I usually have turkey bacon or chicken or something like that on it. So that's a protein. And then I have um, a potato later on. I have a potato and then I'll also usually at that time I'll have a fruit, I'll have a banana, I'll have, I just got some pineapple um, yesterday at the store, some fresh pineapple. I'll have um, apples, 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 everyday apples. Okay, and then later on for my second meal, um, I will have a potato and a meat and a vegetable um, and maybe a small dessert, usually sugar-free. But So um, don't worry about spiking it during it, during your fast, during your eating window. Now, stevia during the fast, all right? There are a couple of research studies that show that artificial sweeteners spike insulin, all right? I interviewed, um, she didn't wanna go live on the podcast, so I interviewed her and then took notes, but I interviewed a doctorate a nurse practitioner um, who was um, a, um, she is a, a diabetes doctor. Um, and she uh, said that anything could spike insulin, right? And, and I already knew this. So, you know, I, I knew from other research because whenever everybody was talking about how if you have anything at all that tastes the least bit sweet, like herbal tea or something like that, you're gonna spike your insulin, you're gonna be out of the fasting state. So I had already studied that and I already knew that, that anything can spike insulin. So there are, there's like things that spike it that you taste, like toothpaste and mouthwash and a diet Coke and stevia tea or stevia in your coffee um, potentially could. It's not very likely because it's non-caloric, but it potentially could. Some studies show it does. Some studies show that say that it do, does not. And then there are things you can smell that will spike insulin. So like driving by Burger King can do it. Um, and then there are things that you can see that can spike insulin, like a commercial on television or um, a pin on Pinterest, All right? But that's, a, that's not, that's a non-food non, uh, spike. But all of these spikes, unless they are caloric, are going to be tiny, tiny spikes. Okay, the exception to that might be like sucking on like a uh, some, something that you're sucking on like a sugar-free mint that you're, you're keeping the taste in there for like, you know, 15 minutes or something. But she said that anything that is going to spike it, it's going to spike it just for a second. That, you know, it's going to spike it for one minute, it's going to go right back down. It's not going to stay up. So um, my benchmark for what I drink during the fast is not based on whether it might have a little spike. My benchmark is based on what it does to me. So my husband drinks diet sodas during the fast and he's lost 120 pounds <laughs> from fasting. And he is like the best faster. He is the 
healthiest eater during his eating window. I mean, I just, I marvel at him. He's amazing. He's like three pounds of vegetables every night. He is something else. Um, so anyway, I really, I look up to him <laughs> for that because I have trouble eating that many, but eating a lot of vegetables. Um, I, on the other hand, if I take one sip of his diet pop, run into his office, talk to him for a second, take a sip of his diet pop, I'm like, where are the peanuts? Where are the pretzels? Need some Cheez-Its, okay? So it's not so much does this have this little spike, I'm not fasting, I'm out of my fast, it's over, I may as well go eat. It's not that for me, it's what it does to me. And I think that is a better benchmark because like this gal said, she tested her ketones and she was still in ketosis, even though she had um, stevia. And that's what some of the tests are showing, that stevia doesn't spike it enough to take you out of ketosis. My guess is brushing your teeth doesn't. My guess is breath, uh, a breath spray doesn't. My guess is diet pop doesn't, right? But I think we have to really be, you know, do the study of one and use our own personal experience to make these decisions because my husband has no problems at all with his diet pop. Now I do, I don't want him to drink it because it's not healthy, right? But I don't tell adults what to do. So, um, but I can't do it. And it's not because I think it spikes my insulin and takes me out of the fast. It's obviously not taking him out of the fast but it's because of what it does to me and what it does to my hunger, to my appetite, and to my cravings. So I think that's a better benchmark. Um, I, I, you know, I think that you can test ketones and, and all of that, um, but I don't really think it's necessary. If you're on the keto diet, you might want to. But other than that, people from time immemorial have lost weight without being in ketosis all the time, without doing the keto diet. Um, the people across the board lose weight tons and tons of different ways right? And staying in ketosis during the eating window may not be necessary unless you really want to. I mean, it's not necessary at all unless you really want to. Right? My husband and I are never in ketosis during our eating window. We always eat all the carbs that I just mentioned. So, um, but they're not usually processed foods. So there you have it. Does stevia spike insulin? Probably not. And I think that you should try it for yourself and see. I also think that telling people randomly, you know, across the board that you can't have stevia or you can't have diet pop or you can't have flavored water or herbal tea or something like that, if they, if it wouldn't affect them, then telling everybody across the board not to do it is not my mode of operation. Because what if it doesn't affect somebody at all, like my husband? So suppose somebody told him that, so he gave up on fasting because he didn't think he could make it without his diet pop. Here he is 120 pounds later, no medications, 60 years old, so incredibly healthy. And I think he would have missed out on a great opportunity to gain health um, if I had told him, you can't drink that, you, you won't be fasting if you do. So study of one, right? See what works for each one of us because we're the ones who have to live with it and we're the ones who determine our own results. And so we take all the information, we take all of the research, we take the conflicting research, which is everything that's out there is conflicting, right? When people are telling us these things, they're all conflicting. So we take those conflicting research pieces. We take our personal experience and we take our outside observations of others. We put that together to create what works for us. Thank you for joining me tonight. This will be in your back office forever and ever, in your classroom forever and ever. Um, 
uh, after at the end of the week, my assistant will put all the videos from this week up. Send your questions in and I'll be live with you again. Have a great night.